What we do here is go back, 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 back. It does no service to creating value for people where I came from if I won't say where I came from. And so nobody thought any thought this movie was going to work, and it did. One of my greatest struggles as a journalist is that I'm an emotional person and I'm a sensitive person. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. 10,000 No's is built on the premise that hearing stories of struggle from people who most of us would consider to be successful is a way for the rest of us to realize that we're not alone. If you've already subscribed on iTunes and you like what you hear, please share it with others. You can take a screenshot of your phone while you're listening, post it on your social media, tag at Maddie Dell on Instagram or at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook, email it to friends, or just let people know it exists and how you found it. If you can leave an iTunes review, even better. That really helps. Either way, I appreciate you listening, and I hope you're as inspired by my guests as I am. So many of kind of guys' relationship are based on activities, and I wasn't able to go skate with these guys. I wasn't able to play hockey. I wasn't traveling with them. And it was a really kind of like, whoa, what am I outside of this? Welcome to episode 26 of 10,000 No's. My guest today is Eric Christian Olson actor. You may know him as Marty Deeks from NCIS Los Angeles on CBS. He's been a part of many more projects in front of the camera, behind the camera. Uh, I got to know Eric a little bit when I was working on his show for a while, a few years ago. Really funny guy, genuinely kind soul. Helped me out, as you'll hear in our interview. But what I was really struck with and what I'm really excited for you to hear is He is a real deep thinker who has some great philosophies on life and his approach to it, uh, how he parents, how he deals with the profession of acting, how he is starting to branch out into uh, producing and developing. Really inspiring. I think there are a ton of takeaways and you're really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Eric Christian Olson. Okay, so I am here with actor and producer now, right? Writer, producer. He's a multi-hyphenate, folks. Eric Christian Olson. Uh, You may know him in the recent years from NCIS Los Angeles on CBS. He plays Marty Deeks, right? (laughs) I just found out it was Marty. I don't think I really knew that. I always thought it was just Deeks. Um, And uh, just a a, a great guy. Thank you for, for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate what you're doing, and I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so we, you know, one of the reasons you're here is, um, and I don't know if you remember this, I think I reminded you in a text, but when the last time we worked together on your show, which was a couple of years ago now, I mentioned the idea, which at that point was just like a germ of an idea of this podcast, 10,000 No's, before I really kind of knew what I was even talking about. And you were like, uh, dude, that's brilliant. That's great. You got to do that. That sounds exactly like me. (laughs) It's a a good impersonation. And then then it was like, it was like two years before I did it, but it was, it was very, um, you were very encouraging with the idea and you just, you're kind of one of those, one of those guys from the minute I met you, 
um, after uh, the, the first table read for the first episode I did, you just kind of went out of your way to be nice to me for no other reason than I think you're just a genuinely good dude. Oh, that's very kind of you. And I, uh, I, I greatly appreciate it. And my parents would be uh, excited. To <laughs> no, it's true. When nobody was watching, you know, they say when nobody's watching, I think I, I, uh, it was like pilot season and, and we had just come out of the table read and I was looking, I must've had a look on my face where I was looking for a schedule because yeah, all of a sudden I, I had that. something going on yeah. and you were like, Hey man, what do you need? Yeah, you and had I was like, oh, I just want to get this schedule, but I'm just here for a few episodes and I don't want to rock the boat. It was that kind of thing. And you're yeah. like, no, I'll dude, get you a schedule. Yeah. And you're like, let me get in here. This guy needs this and, and totally took care of me. And, um, and we didn't know each other. I think we had been in Celeste and Jesse, uh, yes. maybe a year or two before That's together, right. but we, we, we never worked together. So right. I didn't know you. I knew your work, but I didn't know you. And I don't think you knew me. Um, and you were, you just kind of went out of your way. And that's what has ended up like the people that have come here are just people that I think are, you, you know, intelligent and, and good people and kind of have a, um, some kind of are, are an example to others of, uh, you know, you've, you've had a lot of success, uh, from my perspective and it's well-deserved, and I think it comes a lot from that attitude. Well, uh, yeah, that's, uh, again, that's very, very kind of you. And I think that, you know, you get a window into who a person is based on kind of uh, how they treat a waiter or how they treat somebody that they have no connection with outside of that kind of instantaneous, mundane interaction. Um and I, I remember the look on your face and I knew that look because I was that guy where I was like, oh, I need help with this. I don't <laughs> know where to go or what to do. And I was like, if the roles were reversed and, you know, somebody stepped in and said, this is easy. Let me figure this out for you because I can do this at this point, which is walk upstairs and be like, you never give us schedules. I need a schedule. Matt's got because you had pilot season or auditions or something. Yeah, I think it was really busy. And and it was like I was going to go through a juggling yeah. act that you go through at that time of year. Yeah. And I didn't know when we were shooting our stuff and uh, where we were shooting it. Cause we were shooting stuff out in the desert yeah. and, and you kind of hooked me up. And I think also, especially in production, but also in life, I think people have singular perspectives on their own shit, which is that, especially, you know, if, if a production house, all they're worried about is making this TV show. They don't care about you and your auditions and they don't care about hair and makeup. They literally just care about their kind of one job. And I think that to take that perspective and try to make it macro and say, like, we can all figure this out together and make it work for everybody. And after nine years, we have this guy, JPK, who is arguably the best line producer in, in, in Hollywood and is capable of, of doing that. But I, I know that you know, they don't want to share that information with people. They just don't yeah. want to give you the tools well, to yeah, figure out your life. It's so. just going to, that's what I always say. It's going to, it's going to make, yes, they could, maybe they could do it, but it's, you know, it's going to require so many things or if they're trying to get a location locked yeah. down and yeah. they're yeah. like, you know, this guy who's going to be with us for a few episodes. Yeah. I can be an asshole. <laughs> he's gonna, he's you can't be the him. asshole on day one, but I can be like, guys, give me a schedule. Let this kid try to find a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do remember that. And, uh, and of course, and, and, and well, I appreciated it and it, and it wasn't lost on me. And, um, uh, so and I'm glad that you did the podcast. I think that I, I, I really do believe I remember the conversation. Um, and I, I, I think about, um, the things that I, that I value and, and cherish and I'm passionate about in my life. And I know, 
you know, talk about singular perspective as you're venturing on your own to do this thing, how kind of difficult that is to, to manage and to, to bounce those ideas off of people and say like, here's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, and that's, you know, that's how I got into, to producing is, a, is essentially that it's just conversations with people that I valued and, 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 uh, and without them championing saying, yeah, you should do this. Otherwise you're kind of just left in your own with the a bunch of darkness and a little candle on going, is this the right way? Am yeah. I doing this right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I think it's great. And you're on episode what now? Uh, this is, I don't know if this will be 25 or 26. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And it exists forever, which is crazy. Which is cool. Yeah. Like your I mean, kids can listen to this in, in, in 25 years and take lessons away from it. Well, it's funny. I, I played the, the initial thing that I ever did, which ended up being episode one, which is a kind of a, like a 17 minute riff that was just, you know, just happened. And I played it for my buddy. Um, I won't mention his name. You know him though. Um, and he was like, he was like, it's really, he's like, it's really cool. It's really intimate. And he's like, I think it's just cool. Cause you're going to have that little Forever. time stamp of yeah. like, that's what you were thinking yeah. right at that particular yeah. time. It is. It's like a, it's like a vocal diary. journal, yeah. a diary. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been, it's been kind of a wild ride and there's some things that have kind of, um, definitely learned as I've gone along, people have come out of the woodwork to help with logistics. And then, I'll, you know, some things as always happens, there are like the logistics that bum me out about it, which is just like getting it out there. Right. You know, it's like, you, you, it's just all of the marketing and that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the thing itself, the, the conversations and, and even some of that marketing and getting it out has been really a joy. Like, I feel like I'm getting an education. Just, I just get to sit and have these conversations and go like, huh, so that's what Eric does. That's what he thinks. And you know, this is what this person thinks and that person. And it, it's really an education, you know, it's like kind of, getting a, a group of mentors all of a sudden. This is, by the way, I don't know if you read um, Brian Grainzer's book. Um, this is essentially how he taught himself the business before podcasts. He's got dyslexia, so he's not a great reader, which is crazy that, you know, he's found these scripts and told these stories, but he called them cur- curiosity conversations. And so he'd literally just find people that he wanted to know their point of view on something and, and strike up an hour long dialogue. And of course, I don't, I don't, I don't think he taped those. It'd be amazing if he did to, yeah. to listen to, you know, him through the journey of like the end of the eighties and nineties. Um, but it, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're spot on. Yeah. It's been fun. Well, so let's, let's actually talk about your producing um, because I, I don't, I didn't realize, I mean, I knew you were starting to dip your toe in there. I didn't know until you just came over today that you have, I guess it's a development pod over at CBS. Yeah. A pod at, at CBS studios. So, so do you, you have a development deal with them? A or? development deal, uh, with them. I have a great president, uh, Kate Shoemaker, who, um, I stole, uh, she was running Melissa Rosenberg's company who does Jessica Jones and Miss Rosenberg wrote all the, um, Twilight movies. Uh, and this guy, John Will, uh, he's the um, VP of development who I poached from uh, independent filmmaking who kills it. Um, and this wonderful woman, Cassie, who was a two-year um, uh, community, community college in the Midwest in Illinois. 
And because she's such a badass, got into USC film school as a transfer and just got out like two years ago. And she's wow. And she's, How old is she? Like twenty four awesome. or something yeah, like yeah, that. She's like twenty three years Holy. old or something. Um, so it's a great team, and um, it's a diversified slate with a bunch of really interesting um, stories that we're trying to tell. And people kind of always ask us what our brand is, and um, the answer for that isn't so much. It's kind of the things that we've put in development are always character based. Um, we've got dramas, we've got comedies, we've got three great docu series, we have a reality show. Like it's a whole bunch of really interesting stuff. Kind of the unifying theme is just it's all kind of character based, and and none of it, none of it's it's uh, none of it's like the studio. Like hey, this is a big money making. They're right. like stop with your with your cable projects and give us something that you know we can do a hundred episodes of on on broadcast television. But that, I guess that's not where my uh, heart and inclination are. So yeah. And I'd say that, you know, it, it's interesting you bring that up. I had a conversation with a friend last night about, n- not about the film business, but he was talking about the guy who runs Blockbuster. Uh, sorry, not Blockbuster, Home Depot. And um, and he was saying that his his thing is he doesn't care about, like when he was talking about podcasts and he said, I don't care about the number of downloads. I care about are I'd rather you have a hundred people listening that are, you know, would die for it active than to have, you know, a million people who are like, eh. And, and I think that, I, I mean, if you just look at what's happening with network television and cable and now, you know, Amazon and Netflix and everything, I feel like that that's kind of the trend. Yeah. I think you follow your heart and your passion and put something out that's great and, our philosophy is taking, you know, the writer or the piece of IP or whatever it is that we're working on, helping them craft the best version of that story. So we don't take their idea and fit it into a model that works for the the networks. What we do is take whatever it is that they're doing, turn it into the best version of that, and then we try to find a network that does justice to that or is a platform for that type of storytelling. Uh, which leaves us great relationships with our writers because we're literally just catering to yeah. to what they want to do. Um, and I, that is because of the new model. I mean, Netflix, Hulu, these places that, that didn't exist you know, 10 years ago, you really had to find a way to take a story and fit it into a model where it was going to work for 16 million people on CBS. Well, now you can, you can do a show for, for Hulu, and if it's great and it has a million viewers, that's going to get a second season, which is, I think, yeah. such a... A wonderful thing for storytelling. I think we're in the golden age of television. Yeah, when I absolutely. look at where we are and, and what we're doing and and the stuff that I'm seeing on television, it just boggles my mind. I think it's such an exciting time to be, you know, to be an actor and a producer and writer and all the stuff that we're doing. I, I agree. I mean, I just I just got done with a job um, that maybe my favorite job ever. Uh, do you know Goliath on Amazon? Yeah, yeah. I just did season two of Goliath. That's amazing. I, I mean, the way they worked, you, you know, you're talking about um, not having to cater to such a wide audience. It, it, what was amazing was if you had a question or you had anything, it was uh, Larry Trilling, who I love is the, I had worked with him a couple of episodes on parenthood and he, uh, is now the showrunner on on Goliath, and he directed a bunch of them, and then Denny Gordon directed the other ones. They were both so awesome. But what was so great was if you had an idea, one, they encouraged it. Come in, they're like, you know, 
throw your ideas out there. Just just do them. Don't even ask. Do them. We'll tell you if we need to pull you back, which is incredible for an actor. Yeah, unheard of. But but also that they had the power, the creative power to be able to be the yeah. you know the you didn't have to go to yeah. ten phone calls yeah. to see if yeah. you could say ah instead yeah. of um. Yeah. And and it was really liberating. I mean, yeah. it was it was an amazing experience, and that's kind of like what you're talking about with this where you have where the the writer is able to be put in their best yeah. position that's yeah. awesome i mean i know the one the writers must love you i mean it's it's a it's a a definite model that that um builds trust for sure yeah um and I, and i think that even in the things that we haven't landed you know we can walk away saying we we try to tell the best version of that and then we go on to another project with that writer yeah um so yeah, it's been uh, it's been unbelievably fun. It is exhausting, but in a way that's so rewarding that it doesn't feel so. Yeah, and and now just so anybody who's listening is hearing Eric talk about this, and this is this is a you know that's a, a full time gig, but he has a full time gig. I mean, he's on a show that you guys shoot what twenty two episodes a season or twenty four? Twenty four. Yeah, last God. year we did twenty six. How many have you? Twenty six. How many have you done? Like a hundred over you personally, me personally, you came I'd in what done, season two or uh, at the, at the end of season one, I came in, um, I was supposed to do six. I did two and then went off and did a movie really kind of threw the dice there and said, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, I've, uh, I'm at 190 or something. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. And what I love is that you've taken that, um, that position where you're, you know, you're on a show that that runs like a well-oiled machine and you've taken where you are and the people that you know and turned it into another opportunity where a lot of people that are on a, a show that's been running that long, I feel like I know a lot of people who are um, hardened by it and seem kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, and and I understand it. I, I, I don't, I don't been, think I fully understand. I've never that. been in that situation. So right. I, I guess I can understand if you're in something, people feel like they're not really that, that it's gone on for so long. What I think is like, do what you're doing, yeah. which is yeah. you, you use the acting muscle there. Yeah. And then, and then if there are other things that you want to do that cater to, you know, something that's more specific, then you go do that and you create this like right now for you creating this company. Yeah. It's exciting. I think it's going to come to a, a you know, a, a larger idea, which we'll probably get into today, um, which is that how you define yourself. So if you define yourself based on whatever these procedural TV shows are and say that I'm finding my identity in the success or lack of success of what this show is. And then you feel like you're being held back based on this character or it's, you want to do other things. Um, I think that's where you find the unhappiness where if you look at this as, all right, I got a lot of friends who are fucking selling insurance in Glendale in a cubicle and that's their job. They're not defining themselves with their job. So if I look at this as an opportunity to make a wonderful salary, get home to see my kids, uh, pay the bills, and then I get to do the other things that I want to do that really are kind of who I am as a person and kind of how I identify myself as a storyteller or an artist or whatever you want to be, I think it makes it a lot easier to balance that out. 
because the people that I see on TV shows that have been going for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years and they're not happy, I go, what is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> like this, this is, it's lightning in a bottle. And usually you see that person a year after the show gets canceled and they're still miserable. It has nothing to do with the show. It's just a person yeah. who's got all sorts of other that's, shit yeah. to be worked out. Yeah. That's so I, so I, you know, I, if on the days when you're, obviously there's days you're exhausted. There's a day that you're, we were shooting the tunnels downtown in Los Angeles, like a hundred feet and there was dirt and so much crap in the air. And I knew we were all going to get sick from this. And, um, it was at the end of the week and, and everybody was toast. Like we were exhausted. And, and by the way, our cast and you've seen us, nobody really has the fuck this. Everybody's just like, they get it. Like yeah. we all know kind of how lucky we are to be there. And in that moment, in hour 16, you go, I could be in a cubicle. I could yeah. be in a cubicle. Or you could be downtown in those tunnels every day for 16 hours. You know what I mean? You could be doing a right. job that's, you could right. be digging ditches. Exactly. It's like, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. There, there's a certain amount of, um, well, I, I love what you said about if you let it define you. Yeah. That's where you're destined for unhappiness. Yeah, you've painted yourself into a corner, yeah. and it's really no one's fault but, but your own. own. It's just for, how you're looking it. at it that yeah. way. And I mean, in a way, it's the same thing. The this podcast is kind of like where it came from was, you know, me going like, I want to do, I want to have something that's 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 mine. That I'm, I'm going. This yeah. is going to do my, and and it's great. And you know, here we are. I got two yeah. mics and hundred <laughs> percent. It's not 100%. like it's not. Rocket science. It's two people talking. But, but you're doing it and millions of people aren't. And, and this is something you're passionate about. And, and it's fun. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like, and it's not really about what's fun about this is um, I think because it, there's not a lot of overhead to it is that it kind of, I'm beholden to no one but myself. Best version. And, and, and the listeners, if, right. if people want to hear something, then I can kind of uh, I, I can easily pivot one way or another and it's, and it's freeing. And you know, so it's, it's interesting. I, I love it. It's, it's so refreshing to hear you say that. Cause I've, you know, I've butted up against both people on, on jobs like that. Where yeah. Some of, sometimes it's like, you know, you know like, like you just want to steer clear of them. And then there's some people that are so refreshingly, uh, alive with it. Yeah, I can say that our show is is pretty universal with that. That we all have had the ups and downs in our careers to know kind of how lucky we are and to take the stock in that. Yeah, it's a good yeah, it's a good group. So you, uh, there's something else interesting I was thinking. So you are uh, on the show. You are uh, romantically involved with, with my Danny, sister-in-law, who's your sister. She is married <laughs> to your brother in real yeah, life. It only sounds your brother crazy. Dave. Is it Dave? Dave, yeah. was you've met. He's I'm sure he's been doing stunts when you were there. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, she was dating this asshat. My my co-star Danny, who's wonderful, <laughs> was dating an asshat. My brother was dating this. It's essentially what we're talking about, which she was an ind- no, she was a reality TV producer and she was miserable and always unhappy. And at some point you go, is it the circumstances that are driving this unhappiness or are you just an unhappy person? And she was just an unhappy person. Um, and 
and it was, you know, sadness on both sides. And I was like, these two would kind of, they're, they're amazing together. It turned out to be true. So this is easy for me to say in retrospect. Um, but putting them together, which it was my idea for them to, oh, to what? yeah, I, I, I set them up. Ah. Um, and it worked out in such a wonderful way because she's the best version of herself. And he is by far the best version of himself um, as a couple. As a couple. Yeah. They're yeah. really, they're really kind of fantastic together. So it's only complicated when I have to like make out with her uh, on screen. <laughs> Um, but you know, act motherfucker, act. Yeah, which is so funny. So then, so then the other thing is then I came on your show as her ex-fiance. Yeah. So, and then, and then that was my first job of that year. I think I worked with you. I, I ended up doing like over two seasons, but I think I did kind of three episodes and then I came back and did one. But the one year that I started, my first job of the year was with you. Yeah. Um, and my last job of the year Sarah. was with your wife, yeah. Sarah. Yeah. You're real great in that, by the way. Oh, thank you. The, the, fi- the fireman. <laughs> and, uh, it was hilarious. As the dumb fireman. It was fantastic. Yeah. I've played a lot of dumb really characters funny. and it was, it was, it was funny <laughs> and charming. And it's, oh, it was thank good. you. Really good job. Yeah. I thought that was funny. I'm like, wow. So we have this, like the, this. It was uh, the year of the Olsen for you. The year of the Olsons. I was bookended, bookended by, by Olsons. That's so funny. Uh, so, okay. So let's, let's go back to, uh, you played hockey growing up, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's just go back. Just, I'm, I'm thinking about 10,000 no's. I could sit here and talk to you for, you know, we could just BS for a long time and hopefully people are enjoying this. I'm just trying to think of the theme. Like the, you're one of these guys that, um, at least from the outside, you seem like you do a ton of things at a pretty high level. I think you're a decent athlete. You're now writing and producing, you're, you're acting, you're, you're like, you kind of, so, which could be annoying. <laughs> if, you <laughs> if you weren't so cool, people would be like, this guy, this guy is a douchebag. I don't want to listen to him. So what, what are, in your estimation, what are some of the things that you had to overcome that, that were big no's for you or, uh, you know, in, in whatever way? I think you, didn't you hurt your, did you like blow your knee out or something? Or I've, yeah, I've dislocated this knee, I think like three times and this one twice. And, and, um, and it, 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 in retrospect, it seems like it's such a small thing, but at the time it's also about identity, which is that so much of my identity was tied up, I think, in kind of my athletic ability as a hockey player. Um, and, and I don't know if it was, it was ice hockey. I don't think it was inline hockey. And when I blew that knee out, um, uh, and then later on ended up breaking my leg, tib-fib break, um, with the plates and stuff and the redefinition of self. And it was a really important lesson to learn early because I got really depressed. Um, and I remember talking to my dad about, um, kind of what that depression looked like when I could no longer define myself as an athlete. And even right. if it was a temporary situation, it was still kind of emotionally catastrophic at the time of just being like, well, what am I that I'm not, you know, this is not something so many of kind of guys relationship are based on activities. And I wasn't able to go skate with these guys. I wasn't able to play hockey. I wasn't traveling with them. And it was a really kind of like, whoa, what am I outside of this? Um, and I think began the conversation for, for me about what we choose to identify ourselves in and how temporary those things are and how fleeting those things are. Um, and, uh, and I think that was a really important lesson to learn when you're coming out to do what we're doing, 
which essentially, you know, it's, you know, you talk about the 10,000 no's is that no one has more failure in their occupation than, than actors. And I think that maybe my strongest asset is my ability to fail without the loss of enthusiasm. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a Churchill quote that, you know, I got when oh, I was damn, 15. I was just going to, I was just going <laughs> to quote you here. Maybe we'll just do it and people will think it was you. No, it's definitely, <laughs> Winston Churchill's quote is the definition of success is being able to go from failure to failure yeah. without the loss of enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that, that for me, um, I just bounce back really quick. Um, whether it was something as simple as asking on a girl and getting denied, um, or putting myself out there like a total and complete fool and them being like, this doesn't work. Like it's not, that's not the character or whatever, which is how you end up, I think in, in, you know, you end up in a movie like Dumb and Dumber where you're like, oh, they're going to remake Dumb and Dumber, one of the best, you know, comedies of all time. And you're going to play young Jim Carrey, which is the most spectacularly bad idea in the history of career <laughs> choices. You know what I mean? Like you have to be an asshole. There is no upside to that. Like the upside is 1%. You're like, you're, you're doing a retread without the writers, without the directors. It's just yeah. a money grab by a studio. And you're going to be the guy that's going to put your face on that poster. Like that's a terrible, terrible idea. Um, and, 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 and of course. The, was it the, fun though? It, it was so fun. And the guy that, that played Harry in that is this actor named Derek Richardson, who's still one of my best friends. And it was worth it uh, just, just for that. But sorry, I cut you off. You were just, you were going to say something. But, but it was a spectacular failure. Yeah. Um, and, and how do you bounce back from that? You go, all right, well, I did a bad movie yeah. and that's not going to define me. That's not going to define my career as a, as an actor. And I'm just going to go out there and, and, and try again. And then you, do another one. And I, and I, and, and I, when we were talking about this, you, you mentioned like, is there anything kind of that, yeah. that you want to talk about as failures? And I, I wrote back and I was like, bro, just check my MDB. It's like 95% failures. <laughs> I was dying. Like, laughing. and it's, what's crazy is so many of those movies, um, and TV shows were such a failure that other people in the movie didn't work again. Like it kind of killed their career. Really? And so what, what differentiates, you know, my journey from their journey is that I think that it was just like, I got the shit knocked out of me. You know, you wake up on, on, on Sunday morning and you get the weekend report for what the movie was supposed to make versus what it made. And you go, all right, we're getting back into it because this is not going to be the last thing that I, that I do with my, my life or my career. Um, and, and you throw yourself back out there. I mean, I, it, it never like with the last kiss, like this was a movie where we were going to be the heartbeat of, a, of, of our generation talking about love and loss and relationships and, and the fact that everything is happening so much faster now that we're forced to grow up in such a way. And we were so passionate that we were telling this really unique story and the movie came out and it was like a total fail. And not only did it not make money, the critics didn't love it either. And we were like, God. You know what's funny about that, though, that you mentioned? Because I, I was thinking uh, earlier today when I knew you were coming over, and I'm like, what What was the thing? When I saw you in Celeste and Jesse, I remember going, I, I know him, but I don't know where I know him. And I think it was from Last Kiss. And for some reason, I was at that premiere. And so that's prior to any critics or anything. I really liked it. I haven't seen it again since. But I remember thinking it was it was like Zach Braff yeah. had come after doing um, Garden State. State. Tony Goldwyn directed, yeah. right? I love Tony. He's amazing, awesome. Um, 
Casey and Affleck. Casey Affleck. Yeah, you. Blythe Danner. Yeah, I mean, it was, and and what's interesting about this this business is, uh, you know, a lot of times I remember seeing also uh, Funny People, the Adam Sandler movie, yeah, and I saw yeah. it before any reviews came out and really dug it, and then I think it it kind of bombed, and it's like I've gotten to the point where I don't want to hear anything about the movie before I go. I want to have my own opinion of it. And then, so you're right in saying like, you, how can you let that define you? It's, it's totally out of your control. I mean, it's, it's really out of your control, yeah. it, depending on what's going on in the world when it comes out, depending on how it was cut together, right. so many things. And yet we do that. And I mean, I, I'm thinking right now for, for me, just to have this conversation with you, this is, what I need. I feel like that's what I've been struggling about. I actually just talked about it. I had a little solo riff, like right before the new year and saying about kind of taking a leap. And I think something I'm working on is I've always felt like I could bounce back. And I think it comes from sports. I felt like I could knock down and get back up. And I think you ask most people that know me, they would say that about me. I know if I'm judging myself, I still have too much fear about really taking leaps out there and really going for it. Well, that's the first, that's obviously the first step if you can acknowledge that. But then the second step I always, because we have this conversation with Wyatt all the time is let's be logical and let's be tangible about what those fears are. And then you go, what is the fear? Like what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And the, the truth is once we articulate our worst fears from whatever is stopping us from doing the things that we love, they aren't legitimate. Yeah. Especially when we articulate them. We go, well, it could fail. Like, all right, so what does that look like? It doesn't make money or people say it's shit. Well, well, the thing they can't take away from us in that situation, which is what I take away from all the movies that were giant failures, is what is the experience? Right. Like the tangible experience of working with other human beings trying to make something magical. And in Dumb and Dumber, where there wasn't much else to take away, one of my best friends I walked away with because of that movie, and I wouldn't trade that thing for anything. Right. So they can pan it. It can get a seven on Rotten Tomatoes and make 13 million bucks. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that I walk away with the parts that are important, which is the human element. Right. <clears throat> and when you talk about the, all right, so if that's the biggest fear, or if that's the, if that's on your list of possibilities of what could possibly go wrong. Well, that ain't that bad. Bring it. Right. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to do it again and again and again. Right. And it, and when it, f- it fails spectacularly, okay, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, it's really great to hear you say that because I, I'd like to think I have that <laughs> from a, one perspective I do, uh, but I, I definitely, it, it is something that's been on my mind lately is just not, um, taking enough of, of a stand or not, um, I can put myself, I'm, I'm, I'm very courageous in certain, like if I'm in a role, I feel like I'll be courageous. It's someone else's writing. Right. But, but launching this thing where I was going to get on right. here and, nobody and likes, speak as myself, right. I'm going, well, what if people talk shit about it? What if people are like, they're what going does he think to, he's doing. And, and then it's like, who cares? Who cares? I don't hear them. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, but even if you did hear them, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, and then it's a question of like, who do you choose to give your power to? Yeah. Which is that if we live like sociopaths where no one's opinion matters, 
that's not functional either. Yeah. But if we, if we say, all right, this is something I'm going to do. And these are the people that I value their point of view on something creative. And those opinions matter to me, your viewers that have stuck with you for your listeners who have stuck with you for 25 episodes, the people that are emotionally invested when they have something to say, yeah, we adapt because we know those people are in the best interest of our journey. Right. But the people that just decide to talk shit about it, who cares what they think? Right. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be those. They're going to be out there. They're already out there. And, and that usually yeah. isn't. And that's the truth is whatever their criticism is, has very little to do with you. Right. It's their own shit. It's their own. That's stuff, their own yeah. shit. They're just projecting because of the loss of control or whatever is happening in their own life. And that's the, that's the truth. I mean, it's, it's, it's not about you or what you're trying to create. You're out there yeah. and you're putting yourself out there. Yeah. And, and, saying, and the truth of it is that that's normally not, I mean, the, the response, it, it is interesting how it happens when you do put yourself out there, honestly, and you, you're vulnerable. The response for the most part has been, it's, I've been kind of amazed. I've been like, Hey, this is, I mean, the fact that you're sitting here willing to sit down with me, I'm like, that's pretty cool. Uh, I think you're an interesting dude. You're sitting here and you're going, yeah, I'll come over and talk. It's well, one of my philosophies know. is it's just the same way we look at producing, which is that if there's something that somebody I know, or am I emotionally invested in cares about, I have to do everything I can to help that make that possible for them. Because when the roles were reversed, I got help from people who didn't, when I asked like silly questions early on, especially with producing, I had the people that were in, uh, emotionally invested enough in me to be like, think about this, think about that, try that. So if I didn't have somebody coming in at that point saying like, you, you know, here's the path for, for, for you, you know, wh- where would we all be? We'd yeah. be, we'd be floating in yeah, you, with you no need a mentor, yeah. Well, not even mentors. We just need people to, to be a part of our thing, yeah. to be a part of our passion. And when you said this is something, when you pitched it originally, I was like, listen, it's a great idea. It's, we need to, we all need to talk about this because fear, I think is, you know, I, I define decisions into two categories. We make decisions based on fear and we make them based on hope. And when we look back on our lives, the choices that we've made based on fear never work out. And the choices we make on hope have a tendency to work out. And so if we, if we, you know, look at this moment and say, you decided to do a podcast and the fear was saying, well, people are going to talk shit and people are going to do this. And hope was like, but it could be great. And I could be on episode 26 and, 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 and changing people's point of view and giving people hope and courage to make their own journeys that's best case scenario. And that's what you're doing. Right. Right. It's a good, yeah. It's uh. well, thanks for saying that, but that, yeah, it's cool. I like that, uh, that idea. I agree with that because I, that, that you're going from either hope or fear. Yeah. And, uh, it never feels good going from fear it always feels like you're trying to self-preservation. Yeah, it's Fear like you're trying just self-preservation. To, yeah, you're trying to grab it to hold on to something tangible, and you know, you know, you're slipping, slipping down. Yeah, into which the is cracks. nobody wants to live their life like that, and yeah. it's just keeping you. It, it's it's you know, <laughs> shit. Here's more throw. It's the majority of men living their lives in quiet desperation, and what yeah. that quiet desperation is is just the fear of making bold choices because we're too afraid that if we put ourselves out there, we're going to get rejected from some standpoint. Yeah. So self preservation. We just keep ourselves in this little, you know, thing so that no one can hurt us. That's yeah. just that's we. That's not how. That's not how we. Yeah. That's not how we make ourselves better. Have you read the the Mark Manson book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? No. It's you should read that. It's <laughs> interesting. He he gets into a lot of this and and at one point toward the end he talks about having death in your mind. Oh yeah. Because of you know, that that that, that you're makes sense. that will give you a guidepost of what you 
are not going to give and his yeah. words yeah. give a fuck about. And so you right. only give a fuck about the things that really yeah. count and it helps you make your decisions of where you're going to put your energy, where you're going to put your love. And really, if you look at that, it's the, it, it is, it's the inevitable for all of us. So you look at that, it's kind of like what you're saying, like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? You know, we're, going, we're, we're all going there. So you may as well, like, yeah. you know. You might as well do it. Do it while you're here. We had know? a pitch at Netflix on a script. And, and part of the pitch that I talked about is is exactly what, what this guy's talking about, which is, you know, if we all know that we're going to die, that that allows us to prioritize the things we value. And it comes from, there's a great quote from Steve Jobs, and I'm going to butcher it because it's been, you know, eight months since we pitched this TV show. But he says, the greatest tool I've ever had to navigate uh, the logistics of life is knowing I'm going to die soon. Um, Because he found out, obviously, he was dying of pancreatic cancer. Um, And he said, "And, and it takes away fear and it takes away shame and it allows you to really invest in the things that matter. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. By the way, uh, I guess this is a plug to my own thing, but if, if I, I, don't know, I don't know what episode it is, but um, one of the interviews here on 10,000 Knows was with a guy named uh, Rob Whitaker. And um, he was diagnosed with... Uh, with um, Don't say uh, pancreatic cancer. No, he was diagnosed with with colon cancer. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ! Stage four, and um, in 2013. And where is he? Where is he? He is. You got to hear it if you haven't heard it, guys. Here he is, episode five, cancer schmancer with uh, Rob Whitaker. He's amazing, dude. He he um, he he. His attitude and his irreverence and his humor and right, his right life force is amazing right. to behold and the way he walks through how he found out about it and then uh it 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 really is it's inspiring because you're like man he he has he's really right there and he's like i'm fine but then he'll get hit with things um you know he talked about like going he doesn't buy uh skis for himself he rents every year because he said he doesn't want waste the money in case anything. No, he goes. I don't. I don't. He said, "What if something happened next ski season? My kids are going to go in there and they're going to have to." He's like, "I want it to be out. I don't want them to have to deal Yo. with it." It was. It was. And he's. You know. He said at one point he went in uh, to the surf shop and he was getting boogie boards for his his kids, and they go, "Oh, you, these are going to be great. You're going to love them. You're going to get a good ten years out of them." And he's like, "It hit me like a ton of bricks. Stuff like that where yeah. he didn't." You know, he didn't see it coming. Yeah. Um, and and yet the way he lives, he's just like, he's living. And I would venture to say he's, he's you know, living on a more vibrant level than most people that have a clean bill of health. And that's the key. So then the, the lesson in that is how do you get that POV without having to get right. the horrible possibility of, 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 you know, stage four colon cancer coming back? Yeah. I mean, and that's the, that's, if you can figure that out, how to live your life, like it's so fleeting. And well, I, and me, I, oh, oh, go on. No, I, I, I write about this a lot on Instagram, watching my kids grow up. It's just that this is, you know, this, our existence in the world as, as, you know, as husbands and, and, and fathers and, you know, wives. And it is so fleeting that we take the moments that we take stock in, in it all 
and understand that happiness is the journey and not some sort of ridiculous destination that we put off until we're 62 that I think it allows us to tap into the vibrance that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, I mean, for me, I'll say it's a battle every day. There are times when I feel like, okay, I'm very aware of how great this is in the moment with my kids right. or with my wife right. or, or, you know, even, even just right now doing this, this is, right. this is a great, it's a great moment. I yeah. mean, here I, we're sitting here having this conversation. Hopefully people learn from it. And then there are also many times where, you know, the, the fear of what's to come or the imagination of what could come in a bad way can, can get me into a, you know, a tense state where I'm not, I'm then just coasting through the day. And it's like, that's a day that slips off the calendar. Yeah. You're like, that wasn't great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's, and it can happen. Um, and, and it's really, I guess my question for you, two questions. Uh, one is because your, your, your philosophy, I don't think it, it came from one person. I'm assuming it sounds like you've been doing some deep work for a while, just in the, the material that you're quoting and just your perspective. But is there one person, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a teacher or a coach, that kind of instilled this in you or, or is there somewhere that you can crystallize where you go, Oh, I got a lot of this from someone. And then the other thing was what were, what was one of the best things you heard from one of those producers when you started dipping your toe in the producing world? Uh, all right. First question. Uh, I think that would have to be my dad, uh, and my mom, um, I think were pivotal in kind of my philosophy towards life. Um, and when we talk about happiness, the journey is, I mean, that's, my dad's put that on. He's an English professor, uh, but he's also, also a track coach and a cross country coach. And he took a sabbatical, taught himself a bunch of poetry and flew around and taught kids in high school, a one man poetry show. Like he'd go around. I mean, he's, he's, he's Sounds crazy. Like an amazing guy. Yeah. He is. And my mom is a non-denominational chaplain, which means that she doesn't use the tools of Catholicism or some sort of religion in discussing death. She's there essentially just through the process of death and, and doing whatever is necessary with the person that's hurting or the family members. So she's a remarkable creature uh, and, and kind of her understanding of empathy and listening and, uh, and the power of just kind of existing with another human being and, and, um, but, but, but when it comes to, you know, business and when it comes to failure versus, um, success, uh, a lot of that came from him. I remember very early on, I, I booked a, um, a, a, a IBM commercial or no, the local commercial was Jack in the Box. I remember calling my parents and being like, I booked a local Jack in the Box commercial. It's going to pay me this much money. And, you know, but as soon as I get my first national commercial, that's going to be crazy. And then I booked an IBM commercial and I was like, oh, I booked this IBM commercial. It's national. But as soon as I get like a, a guest star, I get a guest star on a TV show, I'll actually be on TV. It's so crazy. And then I got a guest star. And then I was like, as soon as I get like a TV show, like if I had my own TV show and I got a TV show and I remember calling my dad and be like, just, just stop for a second. <laughs> like you're, you're doing it. Yeah. This is it. Like, yeah. This is this is life. That is no, and this is the happiness of the journey, not the destination. And so much of us work, and it's this, it's this just head down, blinders on to get to this theoretical place of success, um, and just being like, I'm gonna take a stock, and even the lows. Like I remember, you know, the feeling of 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 you know losing Star Wars when I was 
21 years old. It was the role that went to Hayden Christensen and just the emotional impact of that. And I remember thinking, there's nothing wrong with me physically. And yet the feeling of this loss is so profound that I need to take stock in this, that this is the ability, this is where we can go. Like, I'm not going to just absolve these feelings and, and, and wipe them away. I'm going to live in this moment because it is remarkable how painful this is. Yeah. So that when I get back to those highs, I can remember kind of all the ups and downs of it all. Um, but that, that was a, the happiness is a journey thing. That was a, that was a big part of it very early on. Um, and then the, 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 the Winston Churchill version, which is, you know, just the loss without losing enthusiasm through going through failures. That's been a big one. Um, but I think there's, you know, those are all philosophies where it's easy to say that and it's easy to put that on a t-shirt. Like, how do we act on that on a regular basis? And that's when it comes down to like a tangible method of working through life, which is, you know, you can look at hope versus faith. You come to a decision in your life and you say, all right, well, if I make this choice based on fear, what does that look like? If I make that choice based on hope, what does that look like? And it's not delusion. You're not using delusion to say I'm going to make choices based on that, but through active hard work, is it possible to get these things done? If I, if I, and then it's hope. Uh, And the other part of it is, all right, what is the worst case scenario if things go drastically wrong? And if things go drastically wrong, turns out that we have the tools, usually, to even fix that. Yeah. So then there is kind of no worst case scenario. And so it allows us to go back out there. And I think like, you know, the first time on the first script that I ever wrote, well, the second script I ever wrote um, was the origin story of Buddha set in the framework of Game of Thrones. It's this massive, like $80 million, me and this buddy, Bobber wrote it together. Um, it's this massive undertaking with like, Warring clans, three warring clans. It's, 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 I mean, it was just like the most spectacular. Like, there's no way you guys should be writing this. You're a bunch of idiots. Um, and we got our first round of notes and we went back to it and got our, I mean, just like brutal, honest notes. It was all, it wasn't me. This is not, I was not, my identity was not in this. This is something I was going to try and give me everything. And, and we got some notes that probably should have stopped us from writing. Uh, and this is a project we ended up selling to the studio. This is a project we took to Frank Marshall, uh, who read it and loved it and came on board to be our executive producer. Wow. Like we ended up at the end of, you know, now we're, I guess that's been in existence for four years, you know, that now we have a real team that we're going out and trying to find like a director. So you're still, it's still being, it's still, yeah, it's, it's still alive. We haven't sent it to networks yet. We're just in the, in the, in the process of kind of packaging it up because they look at me and this kid, Bob, and they're like, we're going to give you two idiots $80 million. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, so those philosophies came from, from, I think both my mom and my dad. Um, the second part of the question, the best kind of advice I've ever gotten from producing, well, I'll tell you exactly what I did. Here's my cheat sheet. Uh, I shadowed everybody from the time that I was doing get real, uh, get real, uh, the loop, which is a will, you know, will Gluck. Uh, will Gluck's a huge producer. Know. He's got a pot at Sony. He's now at ABC. He's directed, um, like five huge movies. He's got the movie coming out with the rabbit, Peter rabbit coming out. He's okay. the director of that and the writer of that. Uh, and Pam and Brady shadowed, him. Yeah. shadowed everyone. Yeah. But when I first started off, he said, the most important thing you go out with as an actor is the first thing you go out with. Cause it's going to define the kind of stories that you want to tell. He's like, so it doesn't necessarily have to be yours. It just has to be great. He was like, because no one wants you to do that pivot. No one wants to give you the opportunity to do that pivot because they want to see you as, 
you know, the floppy haired kid that, you know, is on whatever that TV show is that you're doing at the time. Um, he's like, it's the first thing that you go out with has got to be the most important thing. It's got to be something that's great. Um, so I shadowed him. I shadowed editors. I shadowed directors, obviously directors, uh, sat in as many writer meetings as I could, jumped on as many phone calls, um, notes calls with the studio and the network, um, sat through pitches, that through, um, you know, anything I could get my hands on, listen to, and this is what's crazy. Uh, you know, one of my favorite, um, ways to talk about, um, films is in a love story. And I learned that from listening to Tony Scott on the DVD commentary for Man on Fire, when he referred to Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning, their story was a love story in, yeah. in, in Man on Fire. Um, so, you know, essentially, you know, shadowing Tony Scott as he talks about his movie, which yeah. we all have access to. Yeah. We all have access to these amazing- I love the DVD commentaries. Yeah, the DVD yeah. commentaries, are, these guys are doing master classes in that. Do you ever, yeah. Um, so then- so then when I first started producing, putting together a show, I would take it to CBS um, and the studio uh, pick, picked it up and they'd say, what do you want to do? And I'd say, I'd like to partner up with such and such. Um, so very early on, this is now two years ago, the first four projects that I took to the studio, we took to Alex Kurtzman, um, who has five shows in the air. He came on yeah. board as in his EP for one. Frank Marshall, um, Kennedy Marshall for Buddha. Um, Jerry Bruckheimer uh, for another one. Um, and all these pods, these nobody's better. Nobody's doing this better than these guys. Yeah. And so my first like really foray into going out and pitching to networks, I was doing with essentially the guys that yeah, have the PhDs. Yeah. So I got to watch, you know, I sat down on because some of these scripts, you know, I was doing rewrites on myself. I got to do notes calls with all of them and see how each of them do it differently and then cherry pick the best versions of that from all of them to come up with my own philosophy. So when we started doing projects internally without partnering up, I knew exactly how I wanted it to be and how it felt like to be on the other side. Huh. That's that's amazing. I mean, that's it's really smart. And it's it's a theme that's come up over and over again with entrepreneurs I've talked to um, on, on this podcast, which is, you know, teaming up with one de delegating yeah. and in a way you're teaming up with, but you're kind of delegating yeah. the pitch to, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer and his people who, who do it, who have been doing it forever. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And James, like these guys are, that's what they do. Machines. Yeah. And they're like, they jump on a conference call. If that conference calls at two o'clock, they're on that call. Every one of them at one fifty nine. When they go through a notes call, they go through the the note, and then they all talk about it, about why it happened, and we talk about possible solutions. They go on to the next thing. It is, I mean, it was watching those guys go through a notes call was like this is how it should be for everybody. Yeah, like they're so good, and so that's how we do it now. We incorporated that into how we do our calls. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So, you, so uh, Eric's brother Dave, who we spoke about earlier, uh, is a former Navy SEAL. And as you're talking about this, it's like you guys are. It, it it feels like a Navy SEAL approach to this, which is like this is it. Boom. You know, we're here. We go on. It's not getting too emotional. You you cover it, and then you go on. And I'm thinking about. Uh, you know, a lot of times when, especially a while ago, when someone, a, a, an actor friend would have you do a reading and then you'd sit around and people would talk about it. And it was like, you know, get emotional, get kind of like just meander. Yeah. And this is like, no, it's, 
it's emotional, it's passionate, but it's, but it's like, I would argue it's passionate do. and not emotional. Jo- you have a job to do. Yeah. Okay. Passionate, but passion, not emotional. Because emotion, yeah. I think is where we get, that's our own ego investing ourselves in the note. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, well, this note is coming from me. And so therefore it has to be valued. The first thing I say is, listen, this is just our impersonation, our impersonation, our interpretation of what it is that you're trying to do. If this note doesn't track for you or doesn't make sense, this is your story to tell. Tell us to fuck off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is not about me. So it's just, it's passion about the best version, but it is not emotion. Excuse me. Um, uh, that's, that's great. So really the, the, um, it's, it's not like it was one thing. It was actually just watching and actually doing it with them. Yeah. That really helped you going through that process with them. Dan Jinks from American beauty. We had a project with him. Like we had some amazing partners, um, in which we, you know, learned so much. So how did that come about though? You, you know, you're talking about uh, amazing talents and, uh, you know, places like Bruckheimer TV and that, that kind of thing. You know, was that through personal, personal relationships? Was that through material that you had already, they'd seen the material that you had? Was it a combo of all of those things? It's different for each of those. Mm -hmm. Um, the one that we took to Kurtzman and Secret Hideout, which is Heather and Aaron, um, that was near Fi, set like f- 10 years in the future in San Francisco at the rise of cloning. But it really was a Shakespearean story about um, the role that technology plays on us and the, and the human element. Um, that's their forte. Like they do that. Kurtzman does that better than almost anybody. Um, so once that script was a finished spec script. So when the studio picked that up, I had just met Alex two days before at a CBS event. And I was like, this is the guy, like, this is the guy that does this better than anybody. And of course he read the script and and that's the thing. And they have to be interested. I mean, you have to have the product. He read the script, loved it. We came in and, and had that first initial conversation with him about the story. And he already gave us notes that were like mind-blowingly yeah. good of what yeah. you do when you've been, you know, telling great television and, and film for, for 20 and years. And that's a script that you had written with, no, or, or no, you had just, a writer, one of your writers. Wrote. That was a, that was a script that a, a young writer had written, um, whose agency said it wasn't ready to go. Um, and, and you read it and, and I read it, it and I was like, this is ready to go. Usually my process is, um, I, I'll take something that's an eight and I will give my notes and see if we can get it to a nine or a nine and a half through a series of kind of rewrites and I'll pitch stuff and they'll pitch stuff. Um, I didn't have to touch that. Like it was like, I was like, this is not something I'm going to fuck with. Well, that's another, another great lesson. Um, if you're listening is, you know, the agency says it's not ready. So if you're that writer and the agency says it's not ready and you take their word for gold, I mean, obviously you respect your, but it, everybody has an opinion. Now right. here's someone sitting next to me on the couch who's in a position to produce it. And he's saying, well, I don't care what, that's the agency that was representing that, that writer. That writer. So that's that, that writer's representation is saying it's not ready. This producer is going, no, actually it is. I want it. So I think that's a great lesson even in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can argue both sides of that being, you know, you know, if I was wrong and I went out with something that wasn't ready, you kind of blow it for the project. Uh, It turned out that, you know, the studio said yes. And Kurtzman said yes. um, And it, it, and it was something that, that, um, 
that turned out to be ready, but, but it's, it's tough. You, I think that like everything is who do you decide to give your power to? If you believe in the talent of your representation or you believe in the talent of who's telling you this, then you have to take that note. You have to be like, all right, well help me get it ready. Cause when they gave when we were writing uh, warrior, which is the, the, the Siddhartha story, the, the Buddha story, um, you know, and we finished the second draft. We're like, we're ready to go out with it. And the guy was like, you're not because this is shit. And here's where. Right. And we had to take those notes. And if we had gone out with it, then we would be dead. Like it right. would be dead. So it, that's right. a tough one. It's like, how much do you value the person? I mean, that, and yeah, it's like anything else. And then how much with uh, your style, uh, how are you with kind of um, multitasking, like jumping from one project to the next versus just really being, do you just immerse yourself in one at one time? Or no, that would be impossible. Of- On our slate, we have about 23 things. Okay. Um, and uh, I mean, you can tell today when we did this, when did I write and say, yeah, let's do it tomorrow at 2.30 to 4. Yeah. It was, you know, yesterday. Yeah. So, because I had meetings that were canceled because we lost one of our executives to, to, to um, she had to fly out of town. Um, so I think you have to, I, I'm, I'm incredibly good at multitasking. Um, uh, and I think that you have to be, and I don't think that you can, um, you discipline with time. You must be I, 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 incredibly disciplined in time, but also really good at kind of clock management, which is that I'm not going to overinvest in something or talk too much about something, not going to talk something to death. Like I want to get through a call. I want to do it fast. I want to go through. And I had these conversations with, with UTA and cloud nine, which is my pod, which is that last call with UTA took 33 minutes. We should have this done in 13. And if I don't care if we have to prep a call beforehand, I'm not going to waste UTA's time because I don't want to be the people that are just on a phone talking about nonsense sense. Let's go through it. Let's go through it quickly. Let's tell them what we need. We have to be efficient because otherwise, you know, you, otherwise we're just, pe- this whole town is just people having lunch. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just people talking about doing things, but no one really is doing anything. Yeah. So we have to be the ones that are like, all right, now actively, this is what we need. This is what we want. We're not going to just talk to you about what we're doing. Um, so yeah, I think clock management about multitasking. And I'm also really good usually at emailing back almost immediately which is one of the great um, things about our show is that between setups, I have time to email. So I'll probably send out 150 emails a day. Wow. Literally just, and Chris and Todd are just, I mean, everybody's on their phone, but I'm sitting there writing emails back, doing notes, jumping on a call, doing notes again, sending back a rewrite, like just constantly all day long. And it, you know, you, you, at some point in time I burn out and then I just I'm toast for two weeks. In the last two weeks, I literally did not pick up my phone while we were in, in, on vacation. My wife was like, wasn't that amazing to have to, <laughs> have to do anything? And I was, all I'm thinking is like, I've got 35 scripts to read. And yeah, uh, but it's, that's why you got to do what you love too. Because if you're in the trenches on something you don't give a shit about, yeah, it gets exhausting. But when we're on a call about, we, we just got the rights to this tragic story of the Muslim recruits they went to Paris Island and committed suicide. The Marine, you know about this? It was a New York Times know. and an Esquire article. Um, it's an amazing story. And I, I, I think it's going to, not only is it going to... Um, you just got the rights. We just got the rights to it. Oh, I congrats. called this guy and talked to him for like an hour about what the B- minus version of that looks like and the um, and what we want to do, which is a, a, like the night of on HBO, but stole, yeah. told in the format of The Affair, which is through four different POVs into you know, this whole five days before this kid kills himself. And it's such a, 
amazing and tragic story that um, that that I don't that no matter how tired we get working on this, it's we're never going to be exhausted, right? Because it's such an important thing to to tell. That's great. And what about uh, are you a routine guy with uh, like are you a, a, a morning guy who works out in the morning and then goes or I don't even know are wherever you I can fit it in. And you seem like you're in shape. Well, that's doing right, all kind that, of right. You're. <laughs> uh, I, I work out when I can. I, I know every Saturday I work out with my brother at his house, so I know I'm going to get in once a week. I try to do twice a week. So somewhere I got to fit in a workout. A lot of times it happens like in my backyard. Well. Wyatt, my son, is like jumping on my back, which is the greatest thing ever. Anyway, and then the other time, like like, for, so when you're shooting, no how routine. Are, how are you? There, there, no routine. It's but impossible. Then, but then, how are you with like your your schedule with shooting? Once you get the schedule for the episode, are you then? I pass it off to doing, our, and then you're doing meetings on on days when you're yeah. not working so, or yeah today I had off but it was all meetings so this was a day in which it was you know two conference calls this morning a notes call with Hulu that went magically um, on a script that we turned in our first draft on like uh, and then and then I'll go here and then I've got another conference call in you know uh, in 25 minutes and and and. So how many typically in a day, like like today, you did four calls or something like that, or three or four calls? Yeah, four calls. Today yeah. was four. Today was four calls. And then um, that's, it's amazing because uh, Mark Duplass was, I worked with him on the- uh, He's a genius. And, and he, his, he had a very similar, uh, you know, I kind of was picking his brain about all of this and how he operates. He's very disciplined with time. Yeah. Very good at, at delegating yeah. and, and said he's got- all of these irons in the fire. And he said, I'm good at, you know, moving here when it comes to a stop, move over to here, yeah. get it yep. going, push this forward, push this forward, push this forward. Yep. And That's it. it sounds like a very similar um, process that you have. Yeah. The Wall Street Journal just had an article that came out that said that multitasking is not the most efficient way to do things. I don't know if you read that. It was like six months ago. And I was like, what? <laughs> Uh, yeah. but, I, but I think it depends on the person. And if you can do what Duplass is doing, which is exactly kind of what my philosophy is, which is just you keep pushing balls up the hill because you never know which one is going to work. Um, the way that we work at our company after, you know, reading a bunch of books on management is that Kate is the president of the company. John is below that. You know, Cassie obviously is, is handling logistics and, and, and office manager. Um, and then I'm the whatever I am of the company. Um, when a project comes in, we take it in there, hear the pitch. We all decide together if it's something we're going to do. And then one person runs point. So we have a different, on each, on each project. Hmm. Hmm. And there's a project that, that came in, uh, that I came in through me. I brought it to the company and Cassie was the one that I think most emotionally kind of latched on to what it was and the value of it. And so I was like, you're running point. She was like, what? And I was like, you're running point. And I was like, you tell me the phone calls you need to make. And I was like, and if you need to prep for those calls, we'll go over that stuff. But this is you. You're running point on this project. And so she's on the phone with like, <clears throat> and it's this amazing, I shouldn't go too deeply into it, but it's it's something that she, I mean, she's killing it. Uh, and so so John has his own projects. I'm running point on the Muslim project, the Muslim recruit. Um, uh, the docu-series, the one of these docu-series called The Power of Sport, where we go to Pakistan uh, and we follow this um, kid that was born in Pakistan, came over to the United States, became a Marine. After the war, went back to teach other kids MMA. And what we do, Power of Sport is based on the, on the speech that Nelson Mandela 
uh, gave after the fall of apartheid in South Africa about the role that sports plays in healing countries where we can't do it with politics, uh, what sports did with with rugby there. Yeah. So we do sedan wrestling, we do Haiti surfing, uh, we do Iran women's soccer, uh, bicycling in uh, uh, Afghanistan. Um, Kate's running point on that one because she's the person that kind of is the best for for that project. So that's the definition of delegating. It's like you, we can go over it together, but these hurdles, all these obstacles, you're pushing that because when four people are working on something, nothing gets done. So, yeah, yeah, and it's got to be empowering for um, is it Cassie? Yeah, it's got to be empowering for someone like Cassie who's younger and and as all of a sudden you're giving her the ball. Yeah, and she's going. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's killing it. She's going. This is a. This is one. It's in my wheelhouse, and two. This is a chance for me to prove myself as yeah. a great management. Yeah, I yeah. mean, to give to give people power and let them bring their gift to the table. That um, sounds like a great place to work, and it's only it's only four of you. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well. Um, I know you have to go, so I don't know where you are on time. I don't want to keep you too long. If I have you want to six, more minutes. <laughs> six Talk, more minutes. Six more minutes. We got his, six minutes And then his brother both. comes in and kills me just, with a cocktail snipes, straw. Just a, snipes us both. Uh, um, so uh, what, what do I want? You, you know, I, I'm laughing. We kind of, we got very serious. We got philosophical. We got deep. You know, we, you're no, we got very 15 minutes. It got pushed. Oh, got pushed. Sony, um, Sony pushed it. And we're, well, whatever we want to do here, we can, <laughs> we can uh, wrap it up. Oh, you were wrapping and it up. You could t- no, 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 we did, no, not at all. Um, no, but I'm, I'm laughing because, uh, you know, as you're coming over before each episode, I usually do kind of a, a thing where I say like, you know, I got to sit down with Eric today. And, and I was thinking, um, I always do it afterward. And I was like, well, he's not here yet. You had to push a little bit on the front. I was like, let me just see, I'm, you know, and I said something about, you know, he's lighthearted and funny and everything. And it's so funny. You, The thing that really, uh, that struck me in working with you was even just within your character, you're really funny. I mean, you're, you're really naturally funny. And as we sit here and talk, you're, uh, you, I mean, you're a very serious dude. I mean, you're, you're a thinker, you're, um, you, you know, you've done a lot of thinking and you're very well versed in all these different areas. And you're really on, like, I feel like on a mission and yeah. it's great to hear. I, I remember now when we were working, cause it was probably two years ago, you were telling me, I feel like you did the Kurtzman thing happen a couple of years ago, because I feel like you told me that the, rings the Kurtzman a bell. thing that, that be, maybe two years ago it, that, it that might, started. I, I feel like it, I had just heard it, but you, I don't think you had. I told you a story about how it fell apart in business affairs and I had to drive to somebody's house. Did I tell you that story? No. Oh, that's just another. No. <laughs> yeah. Once it once we had set it up, brought in Kurtzman, business affairs sat down and they do the deal. And we had two producers that came out of the woodwork um, that said that they had ownership of the property. And they weren't necessarily wrong. We just didn't know anything about that. And so trying to put that back together, like it went into lawyers talking to lawyers and uh, the whole thing blew up and I got a phone call from uh, business affairs. Uh, no, it was the head of the drama at the time. And she goes, I'm sorry, it's dead. And I go, so everyone's done everything they can? She goes, yes. And I go, so I'm not going to be an asshole if I like, drive to somebody's house? And she goes, what? And I go, don't worry about it. And so I got in the car, drove to this guy's management company uh, and he wasn't there. And I was like, cool, where does he live? They're like, he, Woodland Hills. I was like, I'm going to head over there, patch him through if you get him. Otherwise, I'm just going to drive to Woodland Hills. And talk to this manager who ended up being wonderful. 
and a human being um, and was partnered up with somebody else who was fantastic. It was just a series of miscommunications that then got thrown into people, you know, representation and lawyers who get their hands on it and it all fell apart. And we ended up after four more months putting it back together. Um, that show did not end up selling, but the story of it's getting to a place, falling apart, it being dead, you know, having a conversation with these two guys that ended up being great, getting them back on board, everyone diminishing to make sure that it worked and then going back out with it was, I think that, I think that's where I was Maybe, at. Maybe because I don't think you told me that story, but I'm just, I was actually just saying that you were starting to, uh, I, I just feel like you were on your journey toward producing more than right now you feel like you're fully in it. So it's great. I mean, that's not that long ago. I mean, yeah. that's too, I'm sure you were in it, but you, I, I, at it, least, at no, least it's, it's from a, my perspective, it didn't seem like you, you've now, it seems as though your company is fully firing on all cylinders. Well, we've only been around for a year. So I've been doing this on my own for, for whatever that has been now, I think. I mean, the Buddha thing was three and a half years ago that we started off with a project that I, I hope no one reads, but now has come to a place where we're you know, something we're quite proud of. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, um, the last year with Kate and John and everybody, that's the year in which, you know, uh, you know, we've, we, it's, it's a fully functional. Yeah. Thing. That's awesome. I, I mean, I love it. And then it's, and then it's also a great, uh, reminder of the responsibility that comes along with that, which is when you're in between setups, you're, firing off emails and yeah. you're, you know, it's no joke. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like you, you know, you don't just do that. You don't just wake up and go like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a, a mogul. And it just happens. I mean, it, it is a lot of hustle. Yeah. There, there, there is no, you know, I, I don't play any video games. I, I don't, if there's anything that you're doing, and I think this is, this is something we, that we all do that is just, you know, you talked about it where you just like, well, there's a day off my my off off the rest of my existence, and there's things we do to kind of just get us from point A to point B in time. But if that is not contributing to something that you're passionate about or someone that you love, um, I'm a big fan of writing thank you notes, and I think that's you know like if if it's not something that's reflective of of what I want to do or, or or impacting somebody's life that I care about, then I'm not doing it. So I will be, yeah, I'm not wasting any time. Wow. Well, which I'm sure is the same thing. The guy with the, you know, with stage four cancer is that you're not looking at it from, from now until 75, you're looking at it until now, until it ends. So if you look at it right now, if you and I start looking at our lives like that, we sure as shit wouldn't be on our phone playing, you know? Yeah. Whatever those games are that people, I always see people playing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. It's, uh. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as an endpoint because it's very flattering to hear from someone who says he doesn't waste any time to come sit here and bullshit with me for like no, an this hour is not bullshit. You're, no, no, no. But to, this is to this sit is... here and and you know and and uh, lend your time and your thoughts. Um, it's it's flattering. So I I really appreciate it. Well, and I should say this too is that this is remarkable. Um, that you talked about doing something, parts of you said, this is a bad idea. What happens if it fails? What are people going to say? And you said, fuck that to those voices in your head. And you said, I'm going to do it anyway. And it's turned into something that is remarkable, which is fantastic. So the rest of our journeys, the people that are listening and me and, and, and anybody else is what is it? The things that we, we all have them in our head. 
which is the things that we want to do that we, for whatever reason, have limited ourselves from exploring. And whatever those reasons are, if we have to write them out and say, this is why we want to do it and this is our fears, and then just start crossing those fears off, guess what? We're all doing what we love. We're all doing 10,000 no's podcast. We're all, do- <laughs> we're all doing 10,000 no podcast. Oh, man. Which is a platform for the next thing that you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is just really a lesson in success of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this thing. And I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get these fancy buttons and these microphones. I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to put into soundproofing. And then you figured it out. And the lesson in that is that I did it. Yeah. I figured it out. And I say that the conversation that I have with Wyatt all the time is if something goes wrong, what do we do? He goes, we just figure it out. And he throws it away in such a way that I was like, that's the greatest thing maybe that's that I can learn. Awesome. So we just figure it out. So if you want to do this thing, you don't know how to do it. We just figure it out. You want to do a podcast? I have no idea how to do that. We're going to figure it out. And then you have this yeah. and you have 22, 26 episodes that are going to exist forever. It's soon to be 50. And then you take that same philosophy and you put it into the next thing you want to do and you just figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Phil Knight and then you have Steve Jobs and then you have, you know, all these autobiographies that I read. Actually, neither one of those were autobiographies, biographies <laughs> that you read that are just like, how the fuck do you start this? Right. Well, it all started with one guy just going, I'm going to figure it out. And the Phil Knight book, the the book on, on the birth of Nike, I've never seen. I need seen, to read that. So I am. It, it, it's, it's good. It's not great, but it is remarkable. A thousand times between now and then that company shouldn't have existed. Like there's a thousand things that went wrong where anybody else would be like, I'm giving up. And the greatest thing about Phil Knight is what we're talking about is that that a thousand times he heard no, and he just kind of kept going because he didn't have an alternative. Right. He just was like, well, I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to keep shipping in things from Japan. I'm going to go find the money from this guy. I'm going to sew these labels on like this. I'm going to find another plant. He just kept stumbling forward until he built this empire. Yeah. Um, He just figured it out. And once you have the confidence to know that you're just going to figure it out, there is there is no limitations to the things that we can do. I don't even really want to say anything after that. <laughs> I, I think that's the end of the episode, Peace folks. Eric out. Christian Olson. 10,000 no's. Thank you so Not much for being here, brother. No, it's my pleasure, man. I Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to 10,000 No's. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, please do. So each week's episode is automatically downloaded to your computer or phone. And if you like what you heard, please help us get the word out by sharing it with your friends and family. We'll see you next week. Thanks.